Hello, and welcome to an all-new episode of No Guilty Pleasures, a pop culture podcast. I'm your host, little-known cartoonist Ken Holtzhauser. I came to an epiphany a long time ago that there was no such thing as a guilty pleasure. I know that there are movies, television series, and music that are seen as guilty pleasures, junk food for the mind, but honestly, with as much negativity as there is in the world, if you find something in this world that amuses you, that you can enjoy, just enjoy it freely. Don't worry about what other people think. Last week, I was talking about the fact that they don't seem to make a lot of monster movies anymore when I was discussing a super low-budget, crazy movie called Slithis. And for whatever reason, that put me in the mindset of another movie that I remember, this one from the early 80s, um, which is, um, it's got that kind of Stephen King vibe of the uh, the creepy North New England type town where there's a secret and there's all kinds of stuff. And I don't know, uh, for whatever reason, it just jogged my memory, made me want to think of this movie. So today we're going to talk about a movie from 1981. This is called Dead and Buried. From the creators of Alien, terror brought down to Earth. Fear so intense, it will stay with you to the grave and beyond. Welcome to Potter's Bluff. Both strangers. Two murders in a town no bigger than a postage stamp. When you die in Potter's Bluff, expect the unexpected. I just lie still. I'm going to give you something. It's going to make you feel even better. whatsoever to reanimate people after they have died oh so lovely so frail so young how could anyone mar such loveliness yeah i will make you beautiful again even more beautiful than before what did you do to our dogs you will try to kill me dad but you can't you can only make me dead. Go on. Pull the trigger. Perhaps you need a little more motivation. Dan, I'm dead. Please bury me. Dead and Buried. The movie you'll want to see. If you dare to look. Bury me. Dead and Buried. Now, the, um, that bit in the trailer where they talk about from the 
creators of Alien is a little misleading. Apparently, Dan O'Bannon, who was the uh, screenwriter, was credited in this film, but he says that absolutely none of his suggestions and none of his material made it into the film, and he did want to have his name removed, but it was a little too late. And I can understand why they didn't want to take it out in the first place, because that's a big selling point for the film. You say, ha-ha, from the people that brought you Alien, even though that's not necessarily correct. The movie is directed by uh, Gary Sherman, and it's about a small town called Potter's Bluff, which is one of those uh, quaint little New England towns where all the bad things happen in Stephen King novels uh, and was filmed in heavy, fake fog so that you don't notice that it's really Southern California. Uh, The movie stars James Ferentino and Melody Anderson. Now, Melody Anderson, for me, is the star of the, um, the marginal cult classic Flash Gordon, and uh, I know that there was there was quite a push for her, I think, in the early 80s. She was a busy gal doing a few movies. And then around, I want to say, 84, 85, she just kind of vanished. Um, I don't know. Hollywood's a hard business, everybody. James Ferentino uh, hung in there a lot. The star of this movie, to me, is Jack Albertson, who you may remember from Chico and the Man, or if you're younger, perhaps Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. He is really good in this movie. This is his final performance, and I guess uh, between sets, he was in a wheelchair with oxygen, so he was battling cancer at the time. But he turns in a really, really strong and, um, I don't want to say campy performance, but he definitely knows what his role in the film is, and he is cranked up all the way to 11, as they say. There's a lot of interesting people in the margins of the film, too. There's uh, Lisa Blount, who was in uh, Prince of Darkness, as I recall. She was almost unrecognizable to me when I first saw the movie because she has this sort of Bridget Fonda-looking wig on. I almost didn't recognize her. Uh, Robert England is in the film, and uh, it's always fun to see Robert England, uh, especially in the context here. He is yet to become a mainstay of horror movies, so it's kind of nice to see him in familiar settings, although it's earlier than when he is about to become a big deal. And our old friend Michael Pataki shows up in this movie as well. And um, I've been really rough on Michael Pataki through the run of this show, and I think it's, I finally decided it's because I haven't forgiven him for what he did to Diane McBain in The Side Hackers. But, um... Obviously, that's another story for another time. He's got a very, very small role in this movie, but it's one of those things where he turns up and I go, oh my goodness, it's Michael Pataki. And I don't know if I'm delighted or I'm horrified. The movie itself is uh, has got makeup by Stan Winston, and that means everything you think it means. It's a bit gory. It's... Um, it's, there's a lot of very effective uh, makeup tricks. There's a lot of very effective uh, segments in the movie. There's one really, really poor <laughs> special effect that he himself admits he was not on the set for. And I believe him because it looks completely different from everything else in the film. Now, the, um, the weird thing is that this is a, a really interesting... Um, kind of creepy little movie that went nowhere because its distribution company 
um, apparently uh, went under just before it was going to come out. So this one could have gotten a much bigger release than it did. It ended up, I think, just kind of haunting the back aisles of video stores instead of really getting the kind of theatrical release it might have deserved. But it's it's a very interesting movie. Now, um, I will say that the trailer that I played earlier does kind of spoil some of it, and uh, that's unfortunate because... Uh, for me, one of the real keys to this is that at the beginning of the movie, you absolutely don't have any idea what kind of movie this is going to be. And that feeling stays with you for a long, long time. And that's that's really something, especially uh, I think that nowadays you would have a hard time with an idea like that because everything is spoiled. There's a teaser trailer and an international trailer and a second trailer and a third trailer and TV spots and by the time you're finished with all of that, the film's main story points have pretty much been bullet pointed for you before you even go to the movie. It's very hard anymore for movies to be surprising. In this case, the movie starts um, in a in a in a slow kind of early '80s, late '70s way, and then gets really weird really quickly. And I spent a great deal of my time, like I said, watching this movie thinking, what is going on? What's happening? Um, once you start getting to the point where you understand what's happening in the movie, then unfortunately it's very easy for you to, um, to get ahead of some of the uh, surprises yet to come, but it's really great. And, um... I'm trying my best not to spoil what everybody's doing, and I'm having a really hard time of it, especially when it comes to talking about Jack Albertson, because he <laughs> he is really good in this movie, and really creepy, and um, he plays a, um, a very fastidious mortician, and he even has sort of his own theme music in that his car only plays big band music and he only plays big band music when he works. So it's definitely um, a camp performance. And it's, uh, especially considering it's the last major role for him, it's, it's good to see how much he is invested in the filmmaking. It's very... It's it's charming in uh, in that way to see somebody really going for it, even with material like this, which is a uh, you know a kind of slightly gory horror movie. For him to be so invested is heartwarming, and you know a little bittersweet as well. You can find Dead and Buried. It's available elsewhere. It's on streaming services, I'm sure. Um, it's going to be worth your time because, like I said, first off, it's it's got this creepy atmosphere of not having any idea where the story is going. And anymore, that's becoming more and more rare. And it's worth looking for. Um, some of the characters, like you would find in any horror movie, are way too blockheaded for their own good, but that's alright. I mean, you get that. That's that's par for the course. But in the end, it's, uh, it's the surprises and the twists and turns that will make this worthwhile. So I'm recommending everybody seek out Dead and Buried. Uh, it's definitely better than the movie I talked about last week, but it's in that same kind of really earnest 
really going for it kind of a way that uh, that's charming anymore. There's not a lot of cynicism in this movie, and uh, I think it's worth your time. This has been little-known cartoonist Ken Holtzhauser, and we'll see you next time on No Guilty Pleasures, a pop culture podcast. Looking for something new and exciting in comics? Perhaps that other dynamic duo, The Quick and the Dad. It's a love letter to the DC, Marvel, Archie, and Harvey comics of my youth. Available now in print and digital from IndiePlanet.com. Within the pages of The Quick and the Dad, you will find supervillains, dad jokes, strange, exciting worlds, really goofy supervillains, and bad puns. I promise. Each issue will delight and confound you in equal measure, and it's available now in print and digital from IndiePlanet.com.